Well, Lord our God, thank you for your word that we have already read. Thank you for the word that we are about to read and peer into. So we ask that this word would peer into our very hearts. That you would show us who you are. That you would show us what you would have us to learn this day. And I pray, Lord, as your minister to this church, that you would give me the grace I need to speak your words plainly so that we might grow in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, so far in this sermon series on the life of David, we've had something of a prelude to the life of David. The first week, we went over basic Old Testament chronology. Last week, we looked a little bit more in depth at the career, if you want to call it that, of Saul. The beginning of his ridiculously crazy kingship. And we left Saul and Samuel... We left off last week with Saul and Samuel departing from each other. Saul looking for political favors and Samuel grieving about the entire process that had occurred. We pick up the narrative in 1 Samuel 16 today. You can turn there if you're going to look in your pew Bible. It's on page 258. What we're going to learn here today is a very simple um, but fundamental lesson that we need to continually understand. The easiest way for me to put it is that we need to do things God's way. We really have two choices in how we live our lives. We either do things God's way or we do things the world's way. Or if you'd rather make it more personal, we can do things God's way or we can do things our way. Which do you think is better? In the short end, the middle end, or the long run? It's always better to do things God's way no matter what it might look like, no matter how difficult it might be. God actually is wiser than you are. He's certainly smarter than I am. He is holy, holy, holy. We are holy, derivative from what Christ has given us. He is eternal. You have a beginning. You will have an end. Okay? He is very, very different than us, but we are created in His image. It makes sense to take our cues from him. And what we will see here in chapter 16 is a number of lessons that will be very, very instructive to us. Now, we saw Samuel, saw the nation of Israel, saw son Jonathan, and of course, uh, the Lord our God in what I'm calling the prelude today. We're actually going to get to meet David. But we won't meet David right away, not the beginning. So we must do things God's way. We'll find multiple sins in this chapter as we do in almost every section of scripture. But let me start reading from verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. I have provided myself a king among his sons. Here we are. This is the first problem we have. Samuel's mourning over external events over which he has no control. Did you do that this week? Did you mourn over external events over which you have no control whatsoever? You can only control what you can control, correct? 
Does anybody here today have the power to control what's going on in world affairs? You can pray. You can vote. You can write letters. Young men, as you get older, if you want, you can join the armed services. You can join the civil government. That's really all that you can do. To fret over things that are external to us is a fundamental human problem. Now, most of us don't have a real problem with fretting over international affairs. Our worlds are decidedly, and our concerns are decidedly more small. We're concerned with what's going on just in western Pennsylvania, or maybe, maybe the country. But what can we do about it? We can pray. We, we see here in Samuel, and Samuel is a great man. He seemed to have a flaw. Surprise, surprise, surprise. He's a sinner. Samuel knew full well he was a sinner because he was in charge of doing the sacrifices. He was in charge of the burnt offering. He was in charge of the sin offering. He was the judge of Israel until the people asked for Saul. And they got what they asked for. Samuel, as we saw two weeks ago, was not a good father. His sons did not follow in the ways of the covenant after him. But Samuel doesn't seem to be terribly concerned with that, not from the text. He's mourning over Saul. We can read into the text, not read into the text, but we can pull out of the text. We can almost picture Samuel saying, Boy, I am really a failure. I've really wasted my time with these people. I've been serving them for all these years. I did my best. I messed up with my kids. They wanted this king. I told them not to do it. I went to God. Then I came back and said, please don't do this. This is going to be a mistake. And they still didn't listen to me. At the end of my long career, they didn't listen to me. And, well, man, and look. Saul's messed up. Everything's chaotic. Nobody's listening to me. He's mourning over Samuel. And the Lord chastises him. How, he basically says, get up. How long are you going to fret over this guy? How long are you going to fret? And I'm going to ask you, how long are you going to mourn over that which is past? It's a, it's a fruitless activity. Can you change anything that happened 20 years ago? Now, some of the young people are saying, no, of course not. I wasn't even here. You can't change what happened two weeks ago. Once you say something, it's public property. It's in the public domain. You can't take it back. You can immediately say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that, but let me be very frank. When we say, I didn't mean that, that's usually, at best, a half-truth. Because if you said it, there was a reason why you said it. Now, you might have said it in ways that you didn't want to say it because of adrenaline and cortisol. But the sentiments behind the adrenaline and the cortisol, they were already there. The adrenaline and the cortisol just gave them a certain bite, certain venom to them. How long are you going to mourn? Get the oil and get going. 
I have provided for myself a king. That's very significant. The people asked, give us a king so that we can be like a nation. And God said, hmm, really? Okay. I'll give you one. You pick a guy. You pick a guy. And who'd they pick? Third week in a row, I'm telling you. They pick a guy who's tall, strong, and handsome. Mighty warrior. Not exactly super smart. Not exactly saved. Not exactly a covenantal um, witness to the nations, much less to the nation of Israel, much less to his little tribe of Benjamin. I have provided myself a king among his sons. That's interesting language. God doesn't need a king. What he's actually saying is, is I've already got Israel's king picked in mind. All right? I've, oh, I have chosen him. The people chose the first guy. They got it wrong. I'm not going to get it wrong. I've got this guy all picked out. So, Samuel says here, now Samuel comes up with, we have our second problem. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. If Saul hears it, he will kill me. Think of what Samuel has already told Saul. Okay, now we don't have a physical description of Samuel the way we do Saul. But I do know that Samuel was tall, strong, valiant in battle. And Samuel was old. Now, when Samuel told Saul, the kingdom's torn from you. Saul at that point had the opportunity, the means, and definitely the motive to take off his head. However, we did see, you know, we did see Samuel in action at the end of the chapter, didn't we, last week? Saul was supposed to put to death King Agag. How'd you like to have that as a name, kids? Agag. Agog, maybe. Saul didn't do that. He didn't perform the, the executionary duties of the executive office of king. He decided to be a priest, which he shouldn't have done. So Samuel says, bring Agag, bring him over here. And now Samuel because of Saul's negligence, has to take on the role of the executionary powers of the executive office of the king. And, well, what does it say? It says he hacked Agag to pieces. Now, that must have stuck in Saul's mind. That must have been an awful display of righteous, God-fearing, covenantal vengeance. But now, Saul, now Saul's like, how can I go? You can almost hear him whining. How can I go? If Saul hears it, he's going to kill me. He's going to be after me. He's a big guy. I'm just an old man. So there's another problem. The fear of other people. The fear of consequences. God has given Samuel a clear command. Thus far in Samuel's life, God has proven extremely faithful to Samuel and his promises. God here, at what we will soon learn is near the end of Samuel's career, if you want to put it that way. Saul is, uh, Samuel is doubting him. We see a lack of faith in Samuel's part. A lack of faith in God's strength a lack of faith in God's power, and a fear of what another man will do to him. 
I can ask you again, did you fret about what might occur to you this week? And I'm not talking about burglars. You can lock your door. It's smart. If it's night and you're walking to your car, it's smart to look around. I'm talking about, are you worried about what people will say to you? Because nobody's going to hurt you at this point in our, in our lives, in our culture. Are you afraid of what people are going to say about you if you speak up for the name of the one who died to save your soul? Are you worried about being laughed at because you're a Christian? Are you worried that people might exclude you from some group because you're a Christian? Are you afraid if you stand up and say, that's wrong? Even if you say it in a nice tone? Are you afraid that if you just say, I'm not going to participate in this activity with you? Are you afraid of what people are going to say? Are you afraid that they're going to laugh? Because that's the level of persecution you're going to get in your life right now. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to think you're you're old-fashioned. They're going to think you're a fool. That's all that's going to happen to you right now in 19... uh, Well, 19. We're not in the 1900s anymore, are we? Hello? It's the 21st century, and it has been for a while. Y2K is long, long past. The only thing that's going to happen to you in 2017 America is they're going to laugh at you. They're going to think you're a fool. No one's even going to punch you. They're not going to kill you. They're not going to take away your job. I want you to think about our brothers and sisters throughout the world who truly have reason to fear for what's going on in their lives. And when we look at our lives and we wonder, wow, what, what's going to happen to me if I, if I even try and act like a Christian? For, let's just take off the table saying anything. Just acting like a God-fearing, upright, moral person. Are you afraid of what people are going to say to you? Now, Samuel has reason. Saul had the ability to kill the guy. You don't have any Sauls in your life at the moment. I don't know every detail of your life, but I know that you do not have any Sauls in your life who have the power, the motive, and the means, and really not the authority, to actually inflict bodily harm on you. You don't live in that world. But the fallen condition focus is the same. We're worried about what people are going to say. We're worried about what people are going to do. Are you fretting about these things, especially you young people? You've got to get that out of your mind as quickly as you possibly can. Do not worry. Do not give one thought to what people will say about you if you try and live like a Christian. If you are persecuted for being a Christian, what is, we, you, should, you, should, you should jump for joy. Because if you're persecuted for being a Christian, then that means you are doing things God's way. That means you're being obedient to God. And that means you're doing things the right way. The people who are persecuting you, the people who are laughing at you, the people who are mocking you, the people who are excluding you, they should be the ones who are nervous because on judgment day, they will have to answer for what they have said. God will tell of you, at least in that, at least on that, 
film segment of your life. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You stood tall. The Lord gives him a way out. Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. In other words, hey, I'm just here to do my job. I'm just here to do my job. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So God's given him um, something that he has not given to you or me. He's given him instruction A, B, and C. God doesn't do that for you, does he? He gives you a general plan. Now on this score, because of the stage in salvation history, and because of the relationship and the office that Samuel held, he did get verbal absolute instruction. But you do have the entire word at your disposal. Did, 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 did you read your Bible at all this week? Listen to it on CDs or MP3s? Streaming? Phonograph, cassette. I don't know if it was ever put on eight tracks. Did you? You see, Samuel is getting the word of God directly. You don't, you, you're not going to get that. He's not going to talk to you. He's not going to whisper in your ear. But you have a Bible at home. If you don't, then come and see me or the elders. We will give you permission to take a pew Bible home. I will buy you a Bible if you don't have one. I can show you where on the internet to get one for free that you can just listen to and read. Did you listen to the word of God at all this week? If you didn't, then how can you get instruction in how to do things God's way? It's impossible. It's impossible. If you move to another state, those of you that have always lived in Pennsylvania, if you move to another state, you will have to take a driving test of some sort. At the very least, a written exam. It's kind of funny when people move to a different state and they've been driving 10, 15 years and they fail the exam. It's really not fun to laugh, but it's like, really? Um, the rules are basically the same everywhere. You know, a stop sign is a stop sign in all 50 states. But somehow, you did something wrong on the written test. You have to, because it's a different state. They want to make sure that you know what you're doing. Even if you just go over to Ohio, you will have to take another test. And you'll have to pay for it as well. And if you have to take it a second time, you'll have to pay for it the second time too. They will get your money. You get a driver's manual. Here's your driver's manual. Have you taken advantage of it? So Samuel goes and he's cruising over there. Now, when he lands in Bethlehem, in verse 4, the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? We see again here another sin problem. The people are afraid. Now, this might be godly fear. We don't know from the text. Now, Samuel was God's authoritative spokesman. Certainly the word of what he had done to Agag would have gotten around. So now this old man comes to town and we see these people trembling. And they, the elders ask him, um, are, you, are you coming in peace? Or is there, is there a problem? Now, you've got a sacrifice here with you. Why are you in town? 
You're, you're not on the agenda. You're, you, we don't have a meeting at the town hall with you. I've come peacefully. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourself. Set yourself apart and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Okay? Now, I'm not going to read you word for word what happens. Here's what goes on. Jesse has all of these sons. And he parades them. Oldest first. Because the rule of the firstborn. The rule of the firstborn. Christ is called the firstborn over all creation. When God laid waste to Egypt on that last night, what did he do? He executed the firstborn. This is a theme running through scripture. The firstborn is a, uh, if you are a firstborn, particularly if you're a firstborn son, it's, a, it's an interesting position to be in. You have certain responsibilities just by the way things work out. And frankly, I can prove to you I don't have time. Now, there are, there are spiritual aspects to it as well. It doesn't mean you're better than your brothers and sisters. Don't get me wrong. It just means you might have a big, bigger bullseye on your back in the spiritual world for a while. He parades them. So now we see another sin problem. I'll just read one verse for you. We'll see Samuel still doesn't get it. So it was when they, in verse 6, that that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He looked at him. We have no description of Eliab, but the fact that Samuel looked at him, and then Samuel said, This has got to be the guy, shows us that Samuel is At the end of the day, just like the nation of Israel, he's looking at the guy and saying, this is the guy. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Nope. Not him. One after another. Samuel, you can almost almost feel Samuel saying, oh no. (laughs) What did I do wrong this time? Every single one of them, God's whispering, nope, nope, it's not him. It's not him. Not him. Nope. Yes, he's good looking. Nope. Right on down the line. We cannot only imagine what Jesse's sons are thinking. They're marching through this gauntlet. They would have heard what was going on. Hey, Samuel's here to anoint me. Why does Samuel anoint people? He's going to anoint someone to take Saul's place. That might be a good job. And they all go, nope, it's not you. Nope, it's not you. Since Samuel, in exasperation, says, are all the young men here in verse 11? And then he, and that's just, he said, well, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. In other words, Jesse didn't think it was important enough to have David come in from the field. David's the youngest. He's inconsequential. He's young. He's basically a kid. Now, he wasn't in third grade, but he's a very young man keeping the sheep. He had his sons there. David wasn't even in Jesse's mind. He's just, he's the youngest. What do you want the youngest for? Look at all of these guys I got here. Look at Eliab. Look at these strong men. You want that, you want that little shepherd boy? Okay. Okay. 
Samuel says, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes. So he sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy. That means he, he, he was able to get sunburned. Okay? With bright eyes and good looking. Why would the Holy Spirit inspire Samuel to write this? Because the people and Samuel are still looking on the external appearances. Okay? But God has said, okay, in verse 7, The Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And this is really the, the, if I can be serious, this is the heart of the issue. We worry so much in our day and age, about the externals, and we give very little thought to what's going on inside of our heads. I was getting a car service this week, and in the background there was the TV going, and it was daytime TV, and they were talking about, yeah, it's not daytime TV, and they were talking about the Oscars. I guess they had the Oscars this week, and they were talking about... um, some of the actresses and the amount of money that they spent on the gowns that they would wear to this gala affair and how long they had to wait for their gowns. And I thought, man, this is not, this is, this is not good. Okay? You know, 10, 15, 20, 30, $40,000 on a dress. And they have to wait for it. And they made a big, they talked about this for like 10 minutes. I came so close to getting up and unplugging that TV, but I said, just stay here in your corner, work on your sermon, be a good boy. The car will be done in just about an hour. It'll be okay. This too will pass. Our culture is so worried. And you young people, again, you really have to be careful about this because that's all that the TV will talk to you about. There goes my glasses. I need those. How's your hair today? How's your suit today? How's your waistline today? Do these glasses look good on you? Do you need plastic surgery? Plastic surgery is fine if there's something seriously wrong with you. But have you ever seen um, children with that cleft palate? um, Horrible mouth condition. It It affects everything. And I thought about those children when I was hearing about these actresses in their gowns. It costs a minuscule amount of money to, to transform a kid's life overseas with one of those operations. And these people are spending, I don't know how many millions of dollars were spent on the Oscars. I don't care. But God will have a reckoning someday over these things. Do not place so much emphasis on the outside. Your outside is going to get old if God gives you a long life. You will not look like... When you're 20, you look different than when you're 50 or 60. That's just the way it works. And when you're 80 or 90... You look different than when you were 50 or 60. That's just the way it works. I'm not telling you not to take care of yourself. I'm not telling you not to comb your hair if you have hair. But don't worry about the outside nearly as much as the inside. Arise, this is the one. 
So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. I can only imagine what the brothers were thinking. This kid. I beat on him. I guarantee you, David is the runt of the litter. I pushed this kid around. I made him do my chores and dad didn't know about it. That's the way it works in big families. He did my work. He carried my lunch for me. You just anointed him in front of me? But the spirit of the Lord comes upon David from that point. And that's the final lesson that we need to get. It's the spirit of the Lord who's given to us that enables us to live a powerful Christian life. Remember what we just read in the gospel reading. It said the spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet ascended. The spirit was given in the Old Testament in in a less extensive and less intensive way than he's given in the new covenant. The same spirit that descended upon David and inhabited him and gave him the grace to be the mighty king that he was is the same spirit that you have living and burning inside of you. Are you taking advantage of that blessing? That's what it comes down to. The Spirit of the Lord is the one who gives you the grace, the ability, the power to do things God's way. When you read the Bible, the Spirit of the living God is the one who makes things understandable to you. The Spirit of the living God is the one who allows you to say no to peer pressure. Who allows you to have the the honor of saying, yes, I'm going to take care of my hair. Yes, I'm going to wear some decent clothes. But no, I'm not going to put so much emphasis on it that I neglect my spiritual life. Same spirit. You have this same spirit. What are the evidences of that in your life? Here's some qualities that have to be shown in increasing level. This is going to be a hard pill to swallow. Love. Love. First aspect of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love your enemies. The second one I find a real hard time with. Joy. How about you? Is joy hard for you? I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about joy, 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 joy down in your heart. Down in your heart. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Not happiness. It's a cliche, but happiness happens. Hey, you get real happy when, oh, I didn't know I was getting a tax refund. Ooh-ah! Joy of the Lord is different. Love, joy, peace. I have to confess I have a problem with that one, too. Peace. The peace that passeth all understanding. I'm a worrier. I worry about yens. I worry about everything. Don't ever ask me, what are you thinking? Because you don't want to go there. I'm thinking of a million things at one time. It never stops. Patience. Who's got a problem with that one? Now I feel like I'm confessing my sins up here to you because I'm going to go down the list and every single one of them I have a problem with. Kindness. Goodness. 
faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what should be being seen. Let's just focus on love, joy, and peace for a moment. Love, joy, peace, and patience. Let's just throw those in there. Love, joy, peace, and patience. And self-control for good measure. It's the bookend. Are you more joyful than you were five, ten years ago? Not at the externals, but in the Lord. Do you have more love for those who might seek to kill you in the future because of your faith than you did five or ten years ago? Are you more patient than you were? What's weird about it is as you get older, I find that sometimes you're less patient. What about you? I mean, when you're 20, you can be patient because you've got all the time in the world. You start hitting 40, 50, 60, you start to say, you know, I'm running out of time. And uh, things got to get moving here. Christian life is supposed to be one of slow, steady growth. You have the Spirit of God in you. Just like David did. You've been anointed with the Spirit. Let Him burn within you. And you will do mighty deeds for the Lord your God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father. Give us the grace that we need to live by the power of your spirit and not the spirit of this despicable age in which we live. Amen.